Greetings, fellow investigators, and welcome back to our video podcast, Into the Darkness, where my friends and I play the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I'm your host, Tom Rayleigh. The campaign is Horror on the Orient Express. It was It's available from Chaosium, and I'm the Keeper of the Secrets. This is episode two. Our recap will be given by Morgan Llewellyn as his character, Dr. Gabriel Neruda. So, without any further delay, let's continue our journey into the darkness. Morgan? It is not every day that you are privileged with the sight of something truly remarkable. For me, that opportunity first arrived on the week of November 12, 1921. I had received a telegram from Julius Arthur Smythe regarding strange occurrences in Rutland, Massachusetts on the property of the Hughes family. I was glad to hear from Julius and see that he had found enough light after the death of his dear wife to send word to us of a potential investigation like old times. In high spirits, I gathered several other members of the Arcane Society inner circle to my humble home for wine, dinner, and to share the details of the telegram. Among this esteemed company, there were fine individuals indeed. Dr. Roland Kurtz, an inorganic chemist, Theodore Thursby III, black sheep and big game hunter, Gunter Block, a stage musician, a sage magician, Dr. Edison York, a medical doctor, and Dr. Dorian Dabrowski, the archaeologist. Together, we gathered equipment and drove out to see the Hughes. Samuel and Sarah have such a lovely home and a lovely family with their farmhouse and two boys, Bobby and Billy. Their hospitality was most welcome after a few hours on the road, and Sarah makes delightful emanated cookies. They also had an interesting story to tell. At the zenith of every full moon, their pond was being visited by a strange ship enshrouded in an ethereal purple hue. We remained at the farmhouse and watched for the ship. And in the silent stillness of the witching hour, it came. All of us were in awe. In no way could this be some parlor trick with projection. Uh, it was a racing yacht named the Valkyrie Two. Dorian, Dorian and I rode out to it, and we could pass through it and see the interior. We saw a man pass out on the floor before a table with an open book. As I said, we were privileged with the sight of something truly remarkable, something truly supernatural. Through further research, we found that the Valkyrie II was a gaff rigged cutter that raced in 1893 and disappeared in 1894. We have buzzed with excitement ever since. Now, because of our discovery and work researching this phenomena, Julius Smythe has invited all of us from the investigative team to join him in London on January 3rd, 1923 for the Challenger Lecture. It feels nice to be traveling in delightful company to see an old friend, even though it takes me even farther away from my beloved Argentina. Excellent. All right, so you have, it's now uh, 1922, uh, middle of the year is when you receive that. Uh, you have a number of months to plan. Um, you book passage together on uh, the, uh, I think it's HMS Leviathan, the SS Leviathan, sorry, which is a large steamer ship. It's not what you would call a luxury liner from uh, our perspective nowadays, but it's a fairly 
decent um, ship for its time. Uh, you also need to consider where, when you get there, you would like to stay. Um, there are a number of top-class hotels. There is the Ritz, of course, which is uh, quite beautiful. There is Claridge's. There is the Carlton. And for the people who don't want to spend as much money, there is the Midland Grand, which is still very nice. What would you guys like? What decisions would you like to make? I like the Carlton. I thought the pool looked especially nice. Oh, you read my mind. I love the Carlton as well. That pool drew my eye. Now, is it is it an outdoor or an indoor pool? It's an indoor pool. Indoor. Oh, well, that's, that's handy to have in, in January. I believe since uh, my family is in Swindon, which isn't that far away, it's a couple hours, uh, and I've done some residency in London, I believe I have a family flat, a luxury apartment um, near downtown. Um, okay. That uh, <clears throat> that you'll I will stay, I, I'll, I'll stay there. Yeah. You'll stay there by yourself or did you want to invite others or well, it would be it would be just too cramped, I'm sure, for others. It's uh, what with the the servants that are already on site, there just won't be enough room already. So, okay, uh, but uh, maybe they can visit the lobby. The Challenger Lecture is it uh, this place Maudley? Is that closer to one of these hotels than another? Uh, Maudley is is a, a display going up at the British Museum. Oh, it's, uh, so uh, which of these is closest to the British Museum? They're all Mayfair, yes. They're all fairly close to the the center yeah. of London. So. And it will be more convenient to stay uh, with these fellows at the Carlton. Yes, the Carlton for sure. Yes, I, I have no no problem with the Carlton. Um, refresh my memory, uh, Roland, about the the Motley. Oh, Maudsley is the name Maudsley. of the establishment that is hosting the Challenger Lecture, I understand. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, the Maudsley okay. Collection is... Uh, the, oh, it's uh, another thing to see when we're in town. That's correct. right. It's, it's a contribution by uh, uh, Sir Alfred Maudsley, uh, uh, a very famous uh, explorer in South America. Yes, yes. In the telegram that uh, Smythe sent, he mentioned that it would be in season to uh, witness this interesting ethnographic display they have. The Challenger Lecture will be held at the Imperial Institute. Oh. And uh, you will be arriving on the 2nd of January, and the lecture is on, I'm sorry, the, you will be arriving on the 1st of January. The lecture is on the 2nd of January at 8 p.m. Oh. Oh, it's on, it's on the 2nd, not the 3rd? Is it the 3rd? Yeah, the 3rd. The 3rd uh, is what I have written down and in my It's on the 3rd. So You're correct. It's, it's on the 3rd. 
So you'll have a day or two before the actual lecture. Excellent. And I assume there will be some sort of uh, end of year festivity on Leviathan, which should be amusing. Yeah, on New Year's Eve, yeah. Mm. I, it's not a fancy dress, though. We don't have to worry about clothing for such a thing. Oh, but, you know, it is a New Year's party. I think I, I'll still bring uh, some of my my finer outfits for that. Oh, I'm sure with black tie. I just don't mean we don't have to dress like a sphinx or some such. Oh, yeah, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so with, um, actually, uh, you asked a question. I can actually answer it. Um, here is a map of London and some of the sites. So you've got um, a Buckingham Palace here. You can see the Ritz is across the street. Claridge's is a block over. Oh, uh, yes. Number place. one is Imperial Institute. There you go. It is next to Hyde Park. East side. Yes, my uh, museum. My uh, apartment, my flat overlooks Hyde Park. So it's not too far. It's on the same block as the Claridge Hotel. Right. Mm -hmm. And the British Museum is uh, item number three on the map. Yeah. And there's some Marley Bone near Regent's Park. Where is Carlton here? Uh, I don't think it appears on the map. Might not be on there. Oh, okay. It's all good. We'll assume it's in the middle. It is somewhere. likely near Soho, yes. This is where all the fancy hotels are clustered. Yeah. Hmm. yeah the, Imperial Inst the Imperial Institute is item one on the yes. map, which is also on, uh, Hyde, er, on the edge of Hyde Park. Yeah. Yes, it's not there. Oh. Excellent. Hmm. All right, so... Um, there are indeed, I don't really have anything for the ship itself. Um, you guys, I assume, have all packed. We'll assume you have winter weather clothes and, and everything you have to stay, um, I mean, more probably three weeks at the least. It's a long trip. It takes, uh, takes a, a week to cross the ocean. Um, there's moments when the weather's not so great, but for the most part, you arrive, uh, without any difficulty. Um, you arrive on the 1st of January. Uh, you guys get settled in your hotels. Uh, Dr. Edison uh, gets to his flat and uh, settles in. And uh, we'll say that you arrive kind of late on the 1st and you, uh, you're going to get together on the 2nd, first thing in the morning consider communication and all that, well, how you're going to handle that. Uh, what do you want to do? On the e evening of the uh, first, uh, I plan to uh, stop by the hotel bar and actually have a draft beer as uh, living in America. I've not been able to enjoy that experience in a long time. Yes, for that matter, we should... Uh... Herr Bloch, we should have some proper New Year's Day food. Uh, pork mm. to live high on the hog in the year to come. Maybe we get a schnitzel also. And I imagine only the hotels are already available on the first of the year. Uh, 
this yeah. many people would be on holiday. But yes, we enjoy some proper civilized fare. You, you booked your rooms months ago, so yeah. Um, yes, you have a very nice evening, a uh, very nice uh, dinner, uh, and enjoy each other's company. Um, you eventually retire for the evening and you get up the next morning. So it's now the second. What would you like to do? You are in London. Hmm. I did give you a book. It probably got little things to do in London. Yeah. You're at, your characters don't actually receive that until they get to uh, the train, but right, it's there for you guys to use. Um, you know, I want to... I, I'm proud of the city and I want to um, show it off to, to my companions, my traveling companions. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll suggest that, uh, that we hit the uh, museums um, and, uh, and check them out. Uh, both the uh, Victoria and Albert museum is, uh, is fascinating as well as the uh, British museum and library. That's, that's also uh, amazing. Why don't we start at the Victoria and Albert and then uh, work our way over to um, to the British after that. Yeah, that's agreeable to me unless we want to uh, do Victoria and Albert today and uh, British Museum tomorrow before the evening's activities. I assume that they are both infinitely uh, full of curiosities. Mm. Oh, yeah. Quite. Yes. Um, uh, I should also mention that Professor Smythe has a residence at St. John's Wood, which is uh, just above Kensington, not, not particularly too far from where you guys are staying. Um, it's north of Hyde's Park, uh, a few could, blocks. You could give him a ring to see if uh, maybe... We could uh, have a set up a visit. Well, that that would uh, seem make sense to me. I mean, we haven't seen him in a while. Maybe just just a quick drop by. I mean, seeing these museums is uh, does uh, interest me quite a lot. Yes, and the the, uh, the museums will still be there. Um, I am. Uh, I would love to see uh, Smythe again uh, in person before uh, outside of the uh, the lecture itself, because uh, such an environment is not conducive to to catching up with a friend. Oh, indeed, Doctor York. Is it the custom here that we would uh, ask him to a tea, or he would ask us to a tea, or how do you go this? Oh, that there's no standing uh, protocol for that. We can certainly ask him um, as. Uh, uh, it, it'll just depend upon what uh, uh, schedule, what schedule he has going on. Yeah, he might have many preparations and want to meet up afterwards as well, but we can ask. So you're going to phone? Yeah. Um, the phone rings a couple of times and is answered by uh, his, uh, his butler, James Beddoes, who you're also very familiar with. Um, mm. This is uh, the Smythe residence. Uh, may I help you? Uh, yes, uh, James. This is uh, Gunter Block uh, from uh, America. 
and Mr. Uh, Buck, you've you've arrived. We have. Uh, me and the other five gentlemen are uh, are here in the city now, and we we're wondering if uh, Doctor Smythe would be available for a a quick drop by. We haven't seen him in so long. Well, certainly. Um, uh, just one moment, please. And, uh, there's a few moments, and he comes back. Uh, actually, um, Professor Smythe answers the, the phone. Yes, yes. Is this uh, Gunter? It is. Ah, you've made it at last. Excellent. You must come over at once. Oh, well, the, a wonderful, wonderful. Yes. Uh, we'll be uh, over in, in as soon as possible. Uh, do you need us to bring anything? Oh no 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 no! Uh, we'll 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 have have you eaten? We'll have breakfast ready if you would like to come over. Oh, that sounds sounds good. I've yes. I've heard a lot of these English breakfasts. Did did everyone come? Did everyone make it? Oh yeah, all six of us. Excellent, excellent. Please, yes, do come over quickly. And uh, he hangs up the phone. All right, so you guys are all on your way. James Beddows is the name of his butler. Um, and more than butler. I mean, they've always been, it's his research companion as well on everything that he does. Um, all right. You drive over to St. John's Wood. They say it's only a few, uh, few blocks over. Uh, and you drive up to a, a small manor house. Mm. So ugly. It's not huge, but it's nice for you know one man and and his butler. Mm. Um, and uh, you park, or you're you're probably in cabs. Uh, the cabs drop you off. Um, and uh, James Beddoes meets you at the door. Please come inside. And uh, it's a nice place, uh, but it's kind of what you'd expect from Professor Smythe. Um, he likes he likes things to be very organized and lovely, and there are always piles of books and papers and things that he's working on here and there. Um, because he still continues to do research. He meets you in the front room. Ah, gentlemen, you've arrived. How wonderful. What a great job you did on the, uh, on the, on the, uh, the ghost ship. Mm. Yes, uh, that was uh, quite the experience. I have not been able to crack how, how someone pulled that off. Uh, but. It's a, uh... It's quite a mystery. That's what makes it so interesting, especially for us members of the Arcane Society. Please uh, come inside. Let's uh, sit in the parlor. Thank you. And he asks you about your trip and about, uh, about all of that. So how long are you going to be awful. staying in London? <laughs> oh, you didn't care. Oh, you don't care for water to cross water, as I recall. I hope you stay to midships. That's where it's least noticeable. It's terrible. In terrible. Case you're, you're here now. Uh, so what do you think of our lovely little... Well, you're from here, aren't you, Dr. York? Hmm. What do the rest of you think of our little city? It's lovely. I'd love to see more of it. 
when the when time avails. You certainly shall. Yes, um, we'll have to drop by at the Oriental Club as well. Uh, my uh, my club here. It's a gentleman's club. Uh, you'd fit right in, all of you. Oh, yes, it's not far. From, we're staying at the Carlton most of it, and I, I noticed it uh, is not far away. Oh, the Carlton's very nice. You know, it. Uh, I would, I would have you here, but we're doing some renovations. I'm expanding my <laughs> library at the moment, and uh, we don't need all of the rooms that we previously had. So, might as well reorganize, move things well, out. <laughs> one can truly never have too many books. It's true. Very true. Are you adding anything in particular to the expansion or just a larger variety on all the subjects? Well, I can, I can show you. We'll, we'll have a little walk around. Um, and, and he takes you and, and he shows you. Uh, the house is nice, but it does have too many bedrooms. Uh, mm -hmm. We just don't need seven bedrooms. Uh, and my study is here. And he takes you into his library, and it's what you'd expect. It's very, very kind of dark. It's uh, got, you know, uh, reddish carpeting, a red oriental carpeting, and it's got some wing chairs, and uh, it's floor-to-ceiling books, and uh, a lot of old things, and uh, shelves with papers. And he says, we're knocking that whole wall out there, and uh, we're moving it that way. There's a large bedroom there, but once we've moved it, then we can make this into one grand library. Someday maybe to rival the British library, although I think that's uh, <laughs> all order there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it all to them when they're done, or to the university, or, or someone such as that. Presumably the uh, Smythe collection would be more specialized. And Does the... Out of character question, does the Arcane Society headquarters in Arkham have a library? It's got a small one, the Corbin Library. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you should certainly consider donating to, to the Arcane Society and expanding that library. I'll certainly have a portion of it that will go to you. Uh, excellent. Um, there Very are good. interesting and, uh, you know, uh, uh, research pursuits that I've been working on for years here and there. Um, nothing of any great interest, just uh, this and that. So. Give us a leg up on rivaling uh, the the restricted collection at Arkham at, at the at Miskatonic, don't you know? You know that it was I who first petitioned our uh, Miskatonic to allow the Arcane Society to have access to some of their more dangerous works. Yes, I've always found their, uh, as much as I love teaching at Miskatonic, some of their ways are, are quite strange, why you would have uh, knowledge and lock it up like that. But I mean, the University of Buenos Aires had similar texts that they kept under lock and key as well. I think a lot of that has to do with Dr. Henry Armitage. He's very, he's very motherly, if you will. He, mm. he tends to be afraid that, uh, I don't know. But I, I suggested to him at one point that he could make uh, uh, electrostatic copies of uh, some of the texts um, rather than allow anyone to you know, touch them directly 
He didn't like that idea very much. He's afraid of technology. But someday, I'm hoping that libraries such as that are available to everyone. Well, like any good librarian, he he cares an awful deal about the volumes under his care. Um, that's a quality I I admire. It is the it is the fear of those books that uh, I find fascinating myself. Did I mention in the um, the telegram to you uh, about the latest collection at the British Library, the uh, Alfred uh, Maudsley? Uh, uh, you collection. you did. Uh, I'd be quite interested to to see what they've uh, what they've collected there. Well, Alfred and and he should be there. He's in town uh, to open the the collection. Um, an interesting man. Uh, a true. Sorry, I don't know that. Alexis, shut up. <laughs> Great, I got a name that's similar to what her name. Uh, uh, he um, he's a true archaeologist in the sense that he's very concerned himself with damaging anything original. Um, so, aside from a few artifacts that he has actually appropriated. Um, for the most part, the man makes large plaster casts around bits of building and, st and Stella and so forth, um, then uh, removes them, cuts them into pieces and sends them back so that the British Museum can make replicas of the original. Uh, one of them is 32 feet high. Mm. It's quite spectacular. Very and strange. Ancient Peruvian works? I believe, uh, Mayan, I believe. Oh, Mayan, Central America. That's correct, yes? I believe oh, that's yes. correct. Um, very strange uh, hieroglyphics, uh, all sort of twisted and contorted uh, individuals with very large noses and their heads shoved back and Headdresses, all carved in bas relief. Yes, the uh, spectacular. That sounds intriguing. Right. The Mayans had such an interesting culture and religious life. Um, I'm very excited to see these uh, these replicas of his. Yes, as am I. Sounds that said very intriguing. And of course, the rest of the British Museum. There's so many things you could spend all day, a number of days, and they're looking for around. For sure, I could spend a long time in museums. And the library there, I spend a great deal of, I've, I've spent a great deal of time at the British Library. Of course, I have academic clout and uh, I have access to everything. And um, one can find a, a wealth of information there on just about every subject in the world. And they're just as careful as Armitage is with every book that they have. Which well, you is have always to, be. Good to see. Yes. Yes. Indeed. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Julius, with the material we sent over uh, regarding uh, the investigation, did you uh, review that with any peers here? Uh, yes and no. I've got... Uh, it's it's part of the reason why I got the uh, Challenger lecture this year. Uh, I uh, will you I be speaking? A, a few yes, I, I I am the main speaker. 
But we were speaking on the Hughes ghost ship. Have you made progress? In part. There's been a few other incidents in various other parts of the world that have produced similar things as something from Norway and something right here from Hmm. London. Um, Completely um, unrelated, I believe, but uh, that's part of what makes it most intriguing. You know what I mean? Um, It doesn't seem in any way orchestrated or uh, it seems so completely disjointed. And I'm told that there are literally hundreds of such occurrences that have been recorded. The problem is, is it's very, very rare that you could actually be there to witness them before they vanish forever. Do these other phenomena share the tendency to relate somehow to the lunar angles? No, not at all. Um, One of them is a woman who is walking down the stairs. This one's the Norwegian, um, the lady on the stairs, you could call her. She starts at the top of the stairs and she walks about halfway down the stairs before she just disappears. And she's appeared five times in the last 10 years. And one of those times it was photographed. Um, But once again, it didn't seem to have any connection except that there was a lady of the house uh, in the late 1700s that seemed to have vanished from, for no apparent reason. Her painting looks very much like the photograph Hmm. Hmm. and Hmm. no explanation. No, nor was she ever recovered, nor did they ever have a body that they could pronounce as somebody who had died. That's why I don't really care for the term ghost. The night that she disappeared, was there electrical activity in the weather? We don't know. We don't have the record for that. Fascinating. Hmm. Do you have the picture that you mentioned? Oh, yes, or... it's in my collection. In in my, I, I've got these papers. Uh, I've had some of them made into slides so that we can show them. Oh. I'm going to show you a cinematograph. That's that's most especially important. Ah. Um, I also have uh, uh, this. He shows you the the woman coming mm-hmm. down the stairs, and it has the same quality. It's got kind of a glow to it. And you can see through it. You know, mm-hmm. you can see the, the wall and the wainscoting behind it. Yeah. The other one is a, uh, a cart with uh, horses drawing it. Mm. And he said uh, this one was oddly described. Uh, same sort of quality of light. Uh, and the, uh, the person who saw it uh, managed to take a number of photographs in succession, and it hmm. looks like the tail on the horse is moving, but in slow motion, the same as the ship. Mm. Hmm. Uh, and oh. also, uh, such a, a trap and pony just disappeared um, hmm. from some time in the past. That seems to be the recurring theme, is that these are objects or people or things that for no apparent reason simply were removed from 
our reality and have gotten trapped, if you will, in a particular place, in a particular time, though not necessarily where they disappeared from, like the ship. I'll, I'll examine the photographs. I'm kind of looking to see if I could recognize any, like, is it a double exposure trick or something? Yeah. Well, that's hard to tell. Yeah. But um, he explains that th that's why I was so excited to see if you could actually get the, uh, a, a film of the thing because mm. that would have made it, uh, that would have confirmed what we suspect. I yeah. think that we might find the answer to these things more in the realm of uh, mathematics and physics than we will in the occult. How so? It's well, we just... have these burgeoning ideas about the nature of time and space having an interrelation that is complex but rational, not mysterious or psychic. There's so. speculations there might be more than just the three dimensions that we know. Time hmm. might be very strange. Space itself might be very strange. I don't know if Einstein had been writing at this point, but probably. And he shows you a little bit more of his research. And he says, the fun thing's going to be that I didn't actually tell the, um, the venue what we were going to be talking about. I wanted to sort of surprise them. Ah. Will, will this topic be out of the ordinary for their lectures? Do you think it'll cause a stir? The Challenger lectures tend to be what is most interesting and popular at the time. Mm. Mm. Um, Marconi was up for it with his little radio gizmo, but uh, ah, yes, he stole it from uh, some other fellow uh, Armstrong. In any case, it should be a nice evening. There should be dinner. Um, a lot of hobnobbing with uh, important people. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Um, so the afternoon or the morning goes on, and uh, I'd say that, you know, there's got to be a point where you guys kind of run out of stuff to say. You probably want to go look around the city and see things, and he will see you tomorrow night at the lecture. Uh, he'll make sure that we all sit together. We'll have I'll have have a table reserved. Oh, excellent! Fantastic. All right. So, as you leave there, what would you like to uh, to do next? You're, you're going to go to the British Museum. Yes. All right. Yep. Um, you also can go to the uh, the other one that you said. I don't have a picture of that. Um, when you get to the British, the British. <laughs> you get to the British Museum, uh, there are uh, some very impressive banners out in the front. Um, people are going in. The banners are, of course, talking about the uh, Maudsley uh, exhibit. 
um, they've got it dressed up quite phenomenally so that as you're, you know, you're entering, you turn a corner and there are suddenly these gigantic pillars of rock um, with uh, carvings all over them and this very strange Mayan stuff. There's a smaller uh, statuary in between of some of the very strange pieces. Do I know anything about these? If if you know, well, you can you can roll for your, uh, I guess, archaeology or history. Uh, yeah. Most of what you would know would be because of Alfred Maudsley's work. What about yeah. so? I have a cult, I have history, and I have anthropology. Which I'll means. roll in archaeology because I'm fascinated. By I, I, I history. History. History, yeah, I can do. You can do archaeology. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll try archaeology here. Wow. Uh, I got a twelve, which is an extreme. I got a, I got a six, which is an extreme. History. Nice. Okay. These are beautiful. That's what so I- from. From Doctor Gabriel's point of view, you know that uh, Arthur. Um, Maudsley has traveled the world, mostly in the in the, you know, Central South America and uh, Mexico. Um, he's helped to discover a number of temples and archaeological finds. Um, Dorian, you would know, you know, what he's actually contributed. That he's gone in and found amazing wonders like these, and he's rather than destroy them, uh, he's made literally made copies of them um he's encased them in plaster and then cut the plaster away and sent the plaster casts back to make copies um which in the real world in our real world is a good thing because the british museum's uh collection of his stuff uh is probably the only thing remaining because a lot of the originals were eventually destroyed yeah, by other archaeologists who broke them and cracked them up and destroyed them accidentally, whatever. Um, there's, of course, also so much to the British Museum. There's Egyptian stuff and there's yeah. Sumerian stuff. Yeah, Dorian will be very fascinated for the entire time. He will have you literally could spend all, you'll spend all day there. And then it, when you get around to going in, towards the center of the museum... Uh, you hit the uh, the British uh, the library uh, the reading room as they call it. That's yep. spectacular. <laughs> wow! Fantastic. Oh my! You notice in the in the uh, the library area there are a number of scholars who are working on on stuff. Uh, you notice that there are a lot of younger men uh, who seem to be attached to those people. And um, then there are librarian staff behind the counter. Everybody has on white gloves, you know, when they're handling these books. You get the impression that the scholars, the scholars don't go get the books themselves, and they certainly don't put them back. That's what the younger men are for. They're they're trained to handle what might be very delicate 
texts and so forth. So it's all very, uh, very careful, more careful than Armitage. But Armitage, if he saw this, would probably want to do this at Miskatonic. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm sort of just moving the story ahead. Yeah. Um, that evening, of course, you guys have a lovely dinner. Um, you chit chat. Uh, you see the sights of London at night, uh, and uh, you're quite, you know, impressed. It's quite lovely, although it is chilly. It is, it is not freezing cold, but uh, it could easily turn freezing cold at a moment's notice. And there's definitely uh, snow in places, in parks, under trees that hasn't melted. And this is January, so it could get pretty bad. Um, the next morning comes and uh, you spend some time in London, uh, probably checking out Buckingham Palace and other such places. And eventually the evening comes and you head on over to the Challenger Lecture. Uh, the Challenger Lecture is in the Imperial Institute. It is across from Hyde Park. Oh, my. That is the uh, the banquet room that it's all held in there at the bottom. Wow. Wonderful. So everybody's dressed in fancy dress. Um, there are, at first, people are walking about, chit-chatting with one another. Uh, uh, there are uh, people, uh, there are uh, waiters in fancy dress with uh, interesting sort of headdresses on that uh, uh, are walking around with drinks and making sure everybody has hors d'oeuvres and drinks. And eventually you sit down uh, to dinner. Um, the, uh, the dinner, let's see what the dinner is. Um, uh, the dinner begins with an appetizer of stuffed mushrooms followed by a light beet salad, uh, then a delicious mushroom bisque. The main entree is beef bourguignon with uh, glazed asparagus and rice pilaf. Uh, desserts for those that are interested will be served after the lecture. Ah. Um, over the yeah. den of the crowd, there is heard the tapping of a silver spoon upon a crystal glass. As the master of ceremonies, uh, Mr. Rayner, uh, calls the challenger gathering uh, to order. He leads off with, please return to your seats. Uh, uh, and you notice that everyone afterwards, you know, within a few minutes, everybody is, is back to their, their chairs. And then he continues his introduction. After a general recognition he gives uh, to the many and various contributors to the Imperial Institute, Mr. Rayner speaks of, illustrious, of the illustrious past lecturers uh, such as Pasteur and Zeppelin. Uh, he then lists many of the academic achievements of Professor Smythe. Tonight our speaker is Dr. Julius Smythe. His rigorous skepticism and methodical analysis earn him high reputation as a debunker of mediums, spiritualists, fortune tellers, prophets, holy sites, apparitions, and so on. Even more so, his steadfast refusal to give any hint of his topic for tonight 
has earned him the respect of inquiring minds. Please give a warm welcome to this year's challenger lecturer, Professor Julius A. Smythe. Everybody claps as he steps up onto the stage with his uh, papers. And uh, uh, he is very much uh, dynamic and charismatic and uh, controls the crowd very well by he. He talks. Um, he speaks uh, about his experiences in the past debunking things. And uh, he uh, also just, uh, you know, talks about the possibility that some things might be more substantial than others. Uh, he then, uh, he then begins talking about the experience that you have recently had. There proves to be, <clears throat> however, categories of repetitious phenomena offering no simple explanation, but one that may be rooted more in the scientific than in the spiritual. Let us define this phenomena as ectopic haunting. I'm using the term haunting and not ghost or spirit because alone of such epiphenomena, ectopic haunters can be buildings, lanterns, coaches and fours, swords and so on, as well as men, women, dogs, bears, possessions, processions, and even armies. Worldwide, the store of casual anecdote concerning ectopic haunters is enormous. These haunters are not linked with specific observers and the haunting presumably occurs with or without human witness, as we shall see. Thus, perception of such an event is secondary to the event itself. Uh, the essential characteristics of ectopic haunters are simple. The person or thing must have existed in real life. It must have subsequently, uh, subsequently disappeared in some sense, and that it must reappear once or many times. The location of the phenomenon may stay the same, or it may change, that which appears may be partial and insubstantial or be as solid and real seeming as any member of tonight's illustrious gathering. No other conditions are needed. He then goes on to show uh, the, the photographs, the movies. Uh, he notes the way the Valkyrie 2's uh, sails move very slowly, the way if you, something that you might, may or may not have noticed before, but there's a water line on the boat that seems to be included, and the water waves actually move the same way along the side of the boat, almost in slow motion. Uh, he, uh, he points out that we, they can see you on the other side through the things, and he reports that uh, you seem to be able to see inside as well. Uh, one might wait a lifetime or many lifetimes for a chance uh, to see such things. Uh, such apparitions uh, seem not to be uniformly preserved. The South of England, for example, has been settled man for many thousands of years, yet the vast majority of ectopic hauntings seem to have been produced in the last five or six centuries. Only a handful seem to survive from Roman times. It is my belief that such ectopia represent clues concerning a natural universe, 
much larger and much stranger than we imagine. The walls of what we perceive as normality have a subtle flexibility. The spectral hauntings I have discussed represent attempts, perhaps random, perhaps purposeful, certainly unsuccessful, to return to this time and space by elements of it somehow removed. If we are energetic and not a little lucky in our observations, students of paraphysicality may one day be able to move up and down in time or travel globally with minor effect or to perceive that which at present lies completely beyond our senses. What waits beyond remains the supreme question which for the present each must answer for himself. Thank you. And applause and um, there's what you'd expect at the end of the lecture. There's applause, there's thanks and so forth. And he comes back over and he sits down at the table with you. Well, how do you think it went? Well, I you certainly had the audience, uh, a rapt audience. Uh, I think everyone I'd paid attention. I'd say that most of them probably didn't have a clue about what I was talking about, but... I believe uh, we'll by the see. second half, most of it went over most of these heads, although the yes. cinematograph is impressive in its own right. The very end got strangely speculative. You think this is not only... I would assume that this was, if we were lucky, something that we would make intelligible. But you seem to think that we could make a technology out of this. Oh, I think speculation is true. It's, uh, who knows? You know, at some point, if this is the nature of physics then we can eventually exploit it. We exploit everything else. So, um, Edison yeah. is, is uh, again, because of the nature of, uh, of skepticism and doubt, um, Edison is a, is a little bit hesitant to, to fully uh, die, you know, uh, buy in on everything that uh, Smythe is talking about. But I'm also a little concerned that um, his, because it does sound so far-fetched that maybe some of his, uh, his uh, uh, hypotheses could be um, not founded in reality. And so without being overt about it, just simply from across the table and doing uh, visual observations. I want to see what I can do to just kind of ascertain his, uh, uh, you know, physical more so than mental, but uh, his, his uh, current state of health. Does he seem as if he's has all of his faculties uh, and does he seem well, would that be uh, a medicine? Oh, more psychology than anything else. Psychology? But I'd sure. let you do a medicine, too. All right. Well, it would be a successful medicine role, but uh, way outside of my range of psychology. Let's say... Um, Physically, he's a he's a fairly healthy man. He's in his mid sixties. Um, 
he doesn't seem to be ailing in any way. Uh, his banter and the way he conducts himself seems very much in line with Professor Smythe, the one that you've known for years. His speech patterns seem stable. His yeah. He doesn't seem to have any overt tremors or anything. Okay. All right. So he, he seems to be, as far as I can tell, without a more direct uh, exam uh, the, the man of his a, right mind. It's a complicated man because he was once you know, the head of the Arcane Society. Um, you know that he is completely aware that there are a lot of people here tonight that won't have a clue of what he's talking about. And so he, just like he did in the Arcane Society, for the outsiders, he tends to make things a little more flamboyant um, to keep their attention. You know, he made little jokes about the woman coming down the stairs and the, and the boat. And he threw in bears because it would have a funny reaction, people thinking about bears, whether he's actually seen evidence or read anything about them is to him kind of irrelevant as long as he kept the audience interested as long as he mm -hmm. was up there. Um, also, given yeah, that we saw him after his wife's sudden demise and the pall that fell over him, yeah, you know, he's and obviously it, still in mourning, but he's preparing the house. He's excited to have the lecture. And it's, it's been a couple of years. I mean, he's yeah. He was no more or less what anybody would be after their, their wife passed away, right. you know. Um, and, and tonight he seems in a very good mood. Mm. All right. Ah, so I'm wondering what our next projects might end up being. Do you guys have anything? Do you gentlemen have any uh, interesting things going on in the Americas back in good old Massachusetts? Well, just uh, uh, academic lecturing, of course, uh, and uh, uh, patience. So, yeah, but uh, it's rather routine. Certainly nothing has been uh, as out of the ordinary as the Hughes ghost ship since then. It did inspire me to experiment with some phosphorescent colorings, which may lead to a useful a practicum at some point in the future. Um, do you think? Do you think there's still a chance that it could be a hoax of some sort, something that we haven't thought of? If I, I did not have faith in my fellows who actually passed through the apparition, I could imagine that there was still some sort of artificial element. But what is described escapes any practical understanding that I can give. Yes, if I hadn't have been in, if I if I hadn't have gone through it, I would have thought it was a hoax. But seeing what I saw, and feeling and hearing what I felt, uh, I've often it's wondered, hard not to believe. I've often wondered. Uh, you you sort of confirmed something for me when you said that there was somebody inside the ship. Yes, hmm. I thought that was very interesting. I've often wondered in some of the other photographs whether there was somebody there that we didn't see, somebody else in the Norwegian house, somebody in a building near where the, the horse and buggy disappeared. 
it, hmm. it all smacks of some strange experiment gone wrong. Well, I mean, I I don't think it's a hoax, as you would say, as someone trying to trick people into believing it. But I do feel that it has to be some logical explanation. We just haven't stumbled upon it. I mean, this this uh, man Einstein, his his theories about space and time, you know. We're only beginning to understand that. Maybe it was some had something to do with uh, time being bent at, at there. And you know, if that was the well, case, this, then we wouldn't need a person. This other rather interesting fellow, Nikolai Tesla, seems to hmm. have done some very strange experiments with electricity. Ah, yes. I've heard of him. One thing uh, that interested me in your lecture, you, you said the uh, ectostatic uh, hauntings, that they were mostly of a more recent time. Did you mean that the, the images were it, the images were from things of the last hundred years or that there's no documented evidence of people seeing this? It's difficult to, well, uh, as I say, there's a great deal of anecdotal evidence. Right. Um, none of that can be confirmed, but it's, I found it odd that you don't find people talking about ancient Roman things ah, yes. appearing and disappearing at will. And yet you do hear about things from the 1800s, the 19, you know, the, the 1700s and so mm -hmm. forth. If this is some sort of natural phenomenon that recapitulates our technology of our own, for example, the wax cylinder, uh, you know, each time you play the wax cylinder, you scrape away a bit of the music or speech that is recorded on it, is it in perfect medium? And so perhaps something can repeat itself a finite number of times, depending on the initial charge, if there is something electric. Uh, is a component of the, this phenomenon. Uh, last. I've heard some interesting speculation that perhaps, you know, the brain itself is an electro, it's an electrochemical stimulus that uh, causes the brain to function and that it might be, this is more ghost theory, but that some event, some something has affected the material around it, the stones, the rock, the, the floor, the road, have become magnetized in some way. And that when one goes there and observes it, the brain is replaying the magnetic waves. Uh, and a person thinks, but we have photographs, we have a cinematograph. So I yeah. think there must be something else. Yeah, but I mean, the photograph is just the capturing of light, similar to how our eyes see capturing light. So I, I can see that still being an explanation for why we could photograph it and see it. The weird thing mm. is the lack of consistency. Yeah. You know, why does this thing appear where it does, when it does? So it doesn't seem to be any commonality. Uh, the lady on the stairwell 
isn't a stairwell in the past and a stairwell in the present. Correct. Yes? And the boat was on a body of water, but it was on the incorrect body of water. It's as, as if there are some strange affinities between these, what is captured in one time and where it can appear in another. The boat was even actually on the water. It was a little above the water, as if the but sea it wasn't level in the, was different. For the two mm, things. But not on the prairie. Mm. Uh, if we were to see a dinosaur, well, but yeah, even again, the Earth spins around the sun, the sun spins around the galactic center, so we are very many millions of miles away from where these recordings were made. Okay. I wonder, we've, uh, we, uh, we'll have to look through the notes. Um, we have, we know the night that the uh, Falkari 2 disappeared. I don't know if we rec- if we uh, looked at a timetable to see if the moon was full that night, mm. uh, you know, above the storm clouds, if these connections are somehow relevant, I should have to look into that. Well, as things wind down here, would you like to go to the Oriental Club? Um, have some Probably drinks. good. Yes. Have some, have some chat. Hmm. All right. So things do kind of wind down after a bit. People have some dessert, but uh, you guys make an exit. Uh, professor gets stopped a number of times. You know, <laughs> people are being polite and asking him questions and so forth. But uh, after about, what do you say the mood was like after the lecture? Is he? Is everyone going? Oh, he's lost his marbles, or no wonder no. he didn't tell us. Or um, there, there seemed to be a ratio of people that were intensely interested. Um, and there were some that were, you know, just there for the dinner. <laughs> um, but people who looked somewhat important, um, and you've seen so many of them in the Arcane Society, they're dilettantes, they're, they're people that just have a passing interest in the occult and so forth. Um, they come up to him and they ask him some questions and, you wonder if tomorrow they'll go home and say, oh, I had a long conversation with Professor Smythe and he told me all of these things and I gave him some idea, you know, bullshit. Um, mm. That kind of thing. There's very few people that are of your guys' academic height and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, so you leave there and you go to the Oriental Club. Um, it's very lovely gentleman's club. It's very opulent on the inside. Uh, again, uh, oriental carpets, uh, a lot of Asian decor uh, mixed with a lot of uh, dark woods and comfortable furniture and uh, a lot of uh, somewhat stuffy gentlemen sitting around drinking, reading their newspapers, smoking cigars and so forth. He takes you inside, you go up to the second floor, uh, you find a, uh, a small room, and you all make yourselves comfortable. You serve drinks, and you have a very nice conversation. Um, very impressive. You're having a very good time. Hmm. Is there anything that you want to ask him or we can move on from here? One question I had, and Dr. Kurtz made me think of it when he mentioned it, 
Do we have any examples of these hauntings taking place? Like our ship was on water. The lady going down the steps was on steps uh, of a haunting showing up like a ship appearing on land on some place where in the physical world it shouldn't be going down steps where there are no steps. Um, only anecdotally. There's, there's been a number of uh, like large old sailing ships that have supposedly been riding across the hills, mm. um, the Flying Dutchman and things like that that make no sense. There have been a number of armies that have been spotted on the battlefield that seem to have that seem to have come out of nowhere, but they can all be traced at least anecdotally to whole battalions that disappeared or Mm -hmm. a sailing ship that everybody assumes that it sank. But what if it was something else? That's, that's why he's been, he's sort of had this professor Smythe has his fingers in a lot of pies and most of them, nothing ever happens, you know, but when Mm -hmm. something like this gets interesting, he'll write a book or he'll, do lectures on it. And this seems to be his bailiwick at the moment. Lost battalion. Well, uh, Teddy, didn't, didn't the U.S. lose a uh, battalion in the Great Great War? Maybe they, they will show up uh, again sometime. <laughs> Maybe. We'll keep our eyes out. Hopefully they show up for more than one week or one month. Um, we got a few months out of, out of your Valkyrie. That, that makes me think of uh, Professor Smythe. Uh, is there anything currently going on that might require uh, our, our group to maybe look at over here? Have you received I've, any communiques? I've, um, I've, you know, I've done research on this and that. And well, I'm, I'm mostly retired now, so um, I give a few little lectures here and there, and I've got my collection of things. Nothing really that interesting. Uh, I thought maybe we would solve the, uh, the Arthurian legends, perhaps, at some point, see if we could uh, trace down uh, King Arthur or, or some other thing like that. It's, uh, it's getting a little bit... Uh, It's getting a little bit wearisome to travel so much, although I do enjoy it very much. The, uh, is the uh, Challenger lecture, will it be published in the newspapers tomorrow? or is I'm sure that there, I'm sure there will be some people talking about it. There will be excerpts. Challenger. With any luck, uh, someone will be receiving uh, uh, photographic negatives and letters describing a number of these things. Uh, not knowing that there was a center that at, attended to these matters and the word will get out and we'll have uh, six more case studies to consider. The more of them we can compare, the more we might have some theory that is more than half-baked. I mean, part of that may have in fact been why I was so eager. Maybe somebody in the crowd will become our new friend, you know, uh, somebody intrigued by what we've said. Um, 
I haven't really been incredibly active. Mostly I've just been doing my own private research. Uh, I'm the, My party days are over. I'm just not that interested anymore. But we do, I do still have students who come around to my, my place from Cambridge and so forth. It, anything nearing uh, the Arcane Society back in the States? Out here, perhaps? Oh, no. I mean, there have been in the past. I did, I did once, I, I, was, I was very eager to join the Arcane Society when I came to the United States because I mean, I'd had, I'd had groups before in, in uh, years ago here in London when I was a, a teacher. And he becomes solemn when he says that. Um, and then kind of reminisces in his, you can see him reminiscing in his mind for a bit. And then uh, his brightness comes back. And he's like, uh, you know, let's have another glass of that uh, brandy. Uh, Maybe we can look for the fountain of youth there for you, uh, Professor Smythe. That's in Florida. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm fairly certain if it exists, it is not in Florida. Perhaps the Mississippi so, itself. Uh, he toasts. He toasts to uh, to friends long gone, and to new friends. Here, here. Do you, uh, Professor? Are you personally acquainted with uh, Maudsley? Um, I've met him a number of times. He's an interesting fellow. Um, of quite the adventurer, just tracking through jungles and. Uh, you know, uh, getting malaria, and uh, mm. I don't know if he fought off any native tribes, but well, for that matter, half the time that. Mexico's at war with the U.S. or the French or Indeed. itself. Uh, uh, yes, uh, quite quite the adventurer, but quite quite the um, uh, quite the ethical gentleman. Uh, I don't think he'd hurt a fly. It would certainly wouldn't hurt an archaeological treasure. He must be prepared to hurt some mosquitoes, however. Oh, that's true. Or perhaps that's why he had the malaria. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. You're friendly with him. <laughs> Not much of a choice there. Anyway, your evening goes very nicely. You drink, you smoke some cigars. I don't know if you smoke. Your character smokes cigars if, if you need it. And um, he explains to the staff at the Oriental uh, Club that um, uh, while you're here, you should be welcome. So ah. um, they they keep keep a record of that so that you're welcome to come in and use the club. There's a, we'll say there's like a, a sauna or not quite a sauna, but you know an indoor pool at one place where you can, you know, clean up and there's showers. And, um, it's a gentleman's club. Minus the stripper poles. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that kind of a gentleman's club. Hey. <laughs> um, all right. So the 2nd of January comes and goes. Um, third. At some point, uh, the 3rd comes and goes. 
Dr. Edison, were you going to visit your family at any point? Yes, I want to head out to Swindon uh, in order to uh, get some time in riding Chestnut for sure and and seeing the family, but uh, definitely want to to get some time in uh, riding through the countryside. Does anyone go with you or do you invite them? Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, if uh, if the city life, if you've had your fill and would like to see some uh, amazing countryside and and have uh, some real uh, uh, excellent meals, then you are invited to Swindon. I'd love to join. Yeah, it'd be nice to get back into the English countryside. (laughs) I am uh, interested in uh, checking out the Tower of London. I've heard that there's uh, rumors of uh, hauntings there. Well, we can say that, you know, all the stuff that you want to do in London, you can do. Uh, If you go out to uh, Dr. Edison's family house, if that's what you were interested in, you do some sightseeing, you ride horses, whatever. Um, the morning of the 6th, um, you are all having uh, uh, tea and breakfast. You're sitting around in the very beautiful, palatious um, conservatory uh, of uh, Dr. Edison's family with the uh, lovely ferns growing here and it's freezing cold outside and a little snowy and you've got all this beautiful green stuff growing and it's warm and you are reading the newspaper the times and i will let you guys take turns highland refuses ito on the bench and quit mayor's race Bose realized need for keeping him on ticket to block third-party plan. McCoy calls leaders. Sounds like their politics are as rambunctious as the U.S. Kinsey Chief confers with Olney, but both refuse to tell what was said. Meeting at borough leaders on mayoralty situation is put off until next week. In a final attempt to avert an open break and keeping in line for the ticket, Liberals who do not believe Mayor Highland could make a winning fight for a third term yesterday sent friendly emissaries to the mayor, who now are bringing all their persuasive powers to bear with a view to inducing him to quit the mayoral race and accept a nomination for the Supreme Court in the second judicial district. Up to last night, these envoys of the anti-Highland forces had not been able to budge Mayor Highland from this determination to make a fight for the mayoralty again. It was stated, however, that the pressure would continue and that when the mayor awakened to a realization of his loss of popularity with the voters, there was hope that he would yield to the representations. Ah, democracy. It's such an entertainment. We can jump ahead to something personal and we can continue. Honored Professors Holm Burns all fear for his safety. Professor Julius Arthur Smythe, a figure well-known in academic circles and recent honoree at this year's Challenger Lecture, is being sought following a devastating fire at his St. John's Woods home. The manor is a complete loss 
But fire inspectors say there were no bodies found. Missing also is a manservant, one James Beddoes. Witnesses say a man of similar build to Mr. Beddoes saw him running from the fire, possibly carrying another man shortly after the flames engulfed the house. The whereabouts of both men is unknown. Anyone with information on the fire or the location of the two men is requested to contact Detective Sergeant Rigby at Scotland Yard's Arson Division. Good God. God. Uh, Rigby. We should hurry back to, uh, to London. So there were a couple of other items in that paper that seemed possibly relevant, given that yes, it was certainly. full of madness and violence. Yes, very interesting. Yeah, so those right. of us who didn't leave town, I think, uh, you know, uh, Herr Bloch was going to the Tower of London. I have, uh, I have a notebook full of locations that appear in the stories of Arthur Conan Doyle, and I was going to see which of them actually existed around London. Uh, I'm not surprised about Baker Street being differently numbered than I had hoped, hmm. but I have a weakness for those tales. Uh, so, so those of us who are in town will probably, you know, reach each other if possible. Uh, if we're both in the Carlton, it should be simple uh, and rush to the scene. Indeed. Okay. So we'll we'll just assume that one way or the other, you all end up at uh, the John St. John's Wood Home area. Um, it's... It's still smoking a bit because it was last night that this occurred. Um, the, uh, they've managed to put out the fire. So there's no fires. There's just smoking rubble. Um, the library, everything. Uh, you can see broken pieces of, of, art, of things that he had, you know, statuary, that's like they got broken pieces of paintings and, and so forth. Um, the gates are wide open because the firefighters um, went inside. There's a lot of fire brigade. The fire brigade. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, the, the fire brigade, the fire brigade, and the police—they're gone. They're not here this at this point. Um, what do you guys want to do? Uh, I don't know how much we're going to be able to find poking around in the ashes, um, but I wonder if anybody at the Oriental Club has seen them since. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm going to. I'm certainly going to walk the grounds. Uh, I know from uh, other experiences with fire that. You know, it will lift paper up and then drop it again at a distance. And well, I'm sure everything inside is completely destroyed by water and fire. There might be something on the ground. As far as the uh, Oriental Club goes, if Beddoes carried Smythe away and yet they did not appear to the authorities or at the club or call on us at the hotel, my assumption is that this, we know from the paper that the arson, uh, the police arson group is investigating. I fear that they uh, are underground because this was a personal attack. 
Yes, mm. if there's an attack, then they, they might be hiding. Very true. Yes, but uh, I would hate to rule out their presence at the Oriental Club uh, before going there. I don't know where else to check. Oh, well, I would not rule it out, certainly. I, and, and if I, you know, I hope that we shall find something immediately, but I uh, would like to inspect the grounds. I encourage us to divide and see the sooner we find them, the better. Yes, uh, Dr. York feels most comfortable going to check out the Oriental Club. So for now, you're at least walking around the grounds of the burnt down Mm -hmm. structure. Everybody do a spot hidden for Mm me. Fifty-five irregular. I also got a fifty-five, but a fifty-five is a failure for me. I thought it would be a good idea to look around the grounds, which is why I rolled a ninety-three. <laughs> I built Thurston. I mean Theodore. How did you do? I'm I'm sorry. What was what was I rolling? You're you're doing a spot hidden. You're walking around the grounds. Yeah, I'm pr- I'm doing a perimeter check. Thank you. And oh, twenty eight. So that looks like something good. That would be a. Oh, that's a hard, hard pass. Okay. Um, for the most part, as you're all walking around, I mean, you're it's devastating. You're seeing the spines of old books. You're seeing, you know, a great deal of damage. Um, and uh, Doctor Doran, you got a regular. Yeah, I got a regular. Um, you you don't find much of anything either. But uh, Theodore, um, as you're sort of kicking around the stuff and. Um, a lot of the stuff was uh, dragged out almost by, by hooks to get, you know, to, so they could get the water into the fire and, yeah. and so forth. You notice um, kind of half buried in some of the burnt rubble, uh, you notice a leather uh, pouch. It's flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's burnt, but it doesn't look like the contents are burnt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you open it up, and there is a journal inside. Well, journal. It's it's obviously one of Professor Smythe's journals, and it's dated uh, 1893. Oh. 1893. Look at this. This is this is amazing. 1893. That's 30 years oh. ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when he was a young young man, obviously cared about it. It's not just the journal, too. There's a lot of postcards and other things that are in there. And this, uh, and it managed to stay dry, too. It didn't get wet. This might give us a clue as to maybe where he is. Maybe he has a, a family member or friend he has mentioned in here that he might be hiding out. So for now, you slip that into your jacket are all in you know heavy coats and so forth and then we're going to go to the oriental club um you arrive at the oriental club and uh they've already heard the news obviously 
everybody's read the morning paper. Um, they're quite distressed that that his house is burned out and that he's missing. Nobody has heard anything from him at all. I don't really know these people here at the club. A bit of bad news, it's horrible, you know, very sad. Uh, hopefully he, you know, they should uh, search the hospitals, make sure that he's not somewhere or or uh, perhaps he did burn to death in the fire who can oh. say oh but he did you'd, you'd think that there'd be some bones left tell me my my good good friend uh julius he he came here quite regularly yes quite regularly he didn't uh complain about someone harassing him while he was here, not not oh. someone of the club, but maybe someone in his uh, personal life that, that had been harassing him. None that we have ever heard of. I mean, he was mm -hmm. a quite jovial man, quite friendly, well liked by everyone. Did he have anyone particularly he was close with here at the club? Uh, no. I mean, well, everyone. I mean, everybody knew him. Uh, as I say, uh, particularly close. Not really, but uh, he certainly wasn't estranged from anyone. He was a good, good gentleman. He'd been a member of the Oriental Club for most of his life. Hmm. I want to hmm. kind of observe the room and see if there's anyone who seems to be kind of going out of their way to avoid the conversation, avoid the topic of... Okay. Spot hidden. Okay. Yeah, clearly they're out in the street. I'm looking out the window. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't notice anything like that. Um, Doctor Roland, um, uh, one of the young uh, I don't know what you call him, maybe a page or something from the place. Uh, he comes up to you and he says, uh, "Pardon me, sir. Are you Doctor Roland Kurtz?" Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. I was told to give this to you. And he hands you a small envelope, okay? About the size of a business card. And I Open hand, it hand him a random European coin or English okay. coin because they make no sense. 14 pounds, <laughs> sir, thank you. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I have no idea what the dump nominations on their coins are. Um, you open it up and it is a business card from Professor Julius Smythe. And uh, before you say anything out loud, you flip it over and you read the back of it. As I expected, uh, he is uh, remaining underground and afraid. Uh, and yeah, before I say anything, of course, I'll nudge, you know, the, the fellow nearest me and will probably hand it silently for one to the other. But in his, uh, on the back of his official university card, it says, come at once, we haven't got long. 134 Darby Street, Whitechapel. For God's sake, don't let anyone follow you. 
Our only hope is that you remain unknown, Julius. Mm. Now, look at, the, look at the fingerprint. We've seen Julius's handwriting, and this is consistent with yes. it. Yeah, maybe shakier. And Doctor York, uh, and like we've you know like asked for a a midday schnapps or whatever, <laughs> and retired to one of the little side chambers. Uh, Doctor York, uh, uh, my impression is that the uh, Whitechapel area is not a, a good part of London. This is so. Well, yes, this is so. That quite uh, unsavory. Yeah. So he is, as we feared, he is hiding, and uh, also, it is. If I was found here, then uh, other people uh, will be watching. Uh, so I am going to make uh, a little act now, and go to the street and uh, ask for a cab somewhere else in a big hurry uh, and then you should go maybe in groups of one and two to this area separately after I leave maybe someone watches to see if uh, I am followed right away and I will meet you at the Carlton in uh, no more than 90 minutes or you can uh, leave a message at the room there for me so I know but I will go somewhere, a third place, and then I will go to the Carlton, and then I will wait to hear, because I'm sure if he is this afraid that we must be cautious. Yes, very good, very good. All right. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to let uh, Roland leave, and uh, and then I will uh, have aside conversations in, in private corners with the uh, each of our other companions and let them know that we need to uh, retire. Um, uh, we're going to be gathering, uh, meeting for dinner um, at the, uh, at the uh, Carlton hotel and, uh, and that uh, we should all be uh, freshen up for dinner and, and, and retire for that. Okay. And I, I mean, I had, I have tugged in as many of us to this little private conversation before my running for the cab. So it's just the two of us. So you've right. all used stealth and manipulation to get where you need to go without being followed. You're keeping an eye out for people following you, making sure nothing happens. I'd say it sounds like you're successful in doing that. And you all converge on this Whitechapel address. Um, it is a rather rundown looking uh, apartment, uh, maybe three stories high. Um, you go up to the, the door and as you do, uh, you notice uh, looking out from the shuttered windows, they're, they're parted a little bit, uh, for a moment, you see Beto's face, and he immediately moves toward, he sort of motions for you to the door and uh, heads down. Uh, he lets you in. When he lets you in, the first thing you notice is there is definitely a smell. Uh, the smell is bacon-like. Um, 
-hmm. You can also see that Beto's hands, he's got them bandaged. He's like, please, please come in quickly. Um, And I I feel like it would have been natural instinct for me to have my, my leather bag with me. Yeah. Please, please come in. Um, of course. Professor's in the other room. He's very badly burned. Oh, God. Let, get me to him quickly. Uh, there's, uh, he'll explain. Um, we wanted to take him to a hospital, but he insisted that we get a hold of you first. So you go in the other room, and uh, the curtains are closed. and Everything is, is closed off so that nobody can see in. Um, so it's rather it's dimly lit, but there's, you know, I don't know if they use hurricane lanterns or um, there's no electricity in this building. Uh, and uh, he's lying in bed. Uh, the sheets are down uh, and he is very badly burned. Uh, all of his beard, mustache, his hair, the hair on his head is gone. Uh, he's blistered all over his face. And all over, like one side of his, his body, and it. There are also some rather deep-looking, horrible-looking scratches on his chest. Um, his hands are shaking, uh, and he is. You think at first that he might be a little delirious in pain. Um, you also notice that there's a number of medical things next to the bed. Um, that probably Beto's has been administering to him. There's some morphine. There's some uh, uh, like a cleaning, I don't want to say cleaning solution, uh, a saline solution and stuff like that so that he can clean him to some extent. And uh, his voice is very raspy, like he's breathed in a lot of smoke um, and he has lung damage. And he's like, oh. Oh, you're here. Oh, thank God. Thank God you've come. Please, please come inside. And uh, Dr. Edison, uh, you move towards him and uh, he's like, oh, no, 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 we're we're going to, we're going to a hospital. There's, 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 There's something I have to tell you first. I have to explain to you. It's, it's a matter of great importance. So he tells you this story. He says, last night, a group of madmen, I think they might have been Turkish, they banged on our front door. Uh, When Beddoes answered, they assaulted him with a knife, Uh, but they didn't know that Beddoes had military training. Uh, So he managed to fight them off to some extent, but they, they still managed to subdue him. They got into the house uh, and they decided to, they, they were going to interrogate Professor Smythe. Uh, he says, uh, they wanted to know everything that I knew about a certain legendary artifact. I, I, I feigned ignorance. I, I told them nothing about it. Uh, it's, it's an object called the Sedevka Simulacrum. Uh, 
I, uh, they decided to torture me. And uh, what they did was they, they held me down and they started cutting my chest with a knife. I, uh, I spit in their face, the blighters. Uh, then the man produced a bottle of some green substance. I think it was acid. And he, he, he dripped it on me. It burned terribly. But just then, Beddoes broke free and kicked the bottle from the man's hand and it exploded. It went everywhere. It must have hit the lamp because it suddenly burst into flame. Everything was on fire. The men fled and as they, uh, as they also were lit on fire, um, uh, I, was in I was in flames, uh, but Beddoes managed to carry me outside and extinguish the flames. You see his hands are burnt. Uh, I was much worse, uh, uh, but I was much worse, as you can see. Uh, my first, uh, Beto's first instinct was to take me to the hospital, but I told him the blighters would be looking for burn victims. They wanted what I knew. For them to attack me, they must know next to nothing uh, or else they would have already located the simulacrum. The truth is, I don't know very much. All of my research is up in flames, thank God. To me, it was just one of a dozen interesting mysteries, but somehow they must have learned that I might know more. I, I thought it was completely unimportant. We've planned, Beddoes and I, that perhaps this summer or the next, we would set off and try to find it, or at least part of it, or what happened to it. We were saving up to take the Orient Express. Uh, Beddoes, there's a valise there. Bring the valise, valise. Um, there's about a hundred pounds, a thousand pounds sterling. Uh, give it to them. No, 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 take it, take it. Don't, don't worry about keeping track, use it. Uh, before you arrived, I had Beddoes write down what I could remember about the thing. So I'm very, very sorry, my friends, to ask you this, but there are evil men now seeking to retrieve an evil thing for no doubt evil purposes. It's unclear what the thing does. It may be like the Ark of the Covenant or the Spear of Longinus. Those who possess it can't be defeated. Uh, it could be a conduit for some elder horror. We don't know. But unlike so many other cult, uh, occult objects, this would appear to be of great importance to them and we cannot allow them to get their hands on it. Now, we have some advantages. The enemy don't know that you're on the trail. They don't know that you even exist, and they will think that I am dead. You have the academic credentials and the knowledge to gain access to information that those madmen will never be able to gain access to. You have the, uh, you look and act like tourists, which will make you nearly invisible. Uh, and you have the fastest, most reliable and most comfortable transportation uh, that money can buy, the Orient Express. So go find it, destroy it before the enemy has it, 
keep vigilant, be wise, blend in, and we will thwart them before they even know that they are at risk. Meadows is taking me north to a veterans hospital as soon as you leave, a secret place, a place that they will never suspect I am. There we can remain hidden and we will keep you posted on our progress via telegraph restante. Remember what that is. Mm. Um, and then he urges you to uh, take the valets, take the notes that Beddoes has taken, uh, and and go. I mean, you probably have questions and stuff, but uh, I, for my voice, I didn't do the whole thing. But he's in agony. Yeah. You can tell that he's in agony. And there's a lot of breaks and, and flinches. Yeah. I want to can... see if there's anything that I can do to stabilize him for the trip that Beto's is going to take him on. Okay, do your medical. Standard success. Okay. Um, you are at least, you're using, Beto seems to know what he's doing. Maybe he had medical training in, in uh, the military, um, but you're definitely, you know, cleaning what you can. And that's when you notice that the cuts that, he, that they were torturing him with, um, they actually spell out something. Good mm. God. I put a piece of paper on him and get a rubbing. No. Therese's <laughs> Olan. What Ooh, language is this? I don't wreck. Tulamaz. Tulamaz. I don't recognize it. He actually seems unaware that it actually spells anything because it's on his body and all he knew was that they were carving it into him. Um, is there anything else you want to do? He says, he says quickly now, Beddoes will bundle me up. We must go. We must go secretly and quietly so that they don't. Um, I will, when we arrive, we'll send you a message. Um, perhaps you'll, it'll, it'll arrive in Paris. Check, check the, we need to have a password. Uh, so that you can retrieve the telegram. Chestnut. Chestnut. There you go. Chestnut it is. All right. And what... Uh, is there anything else you want to do before you leave? Uh, ask him if he recognizes that language. Say it, it sounds like it could be Turkish. Mm. They they sounded like Turks. Mm. They were they were big, big men with very odd mustaches mm. and uh, a dark complexion. Uh, does Beto's need any first aid? Um, he he says that he's fine. I mean, he's not fine, but he only got burned on his hands and arms. So he's stalwart. 
I tell him to uh, fly swiftly. Smythe needs uh, uh, immediate care. And with that, you guys sneak off into the night uh, quietly and without being seen. And that is where we'll end it for tonight. I can hear somebody beeping. <laughs> Our players included Morgan Llewellyn, David Gasway, Stuart Lipley, Keith Craig, Josh Harwood, and John Hook. With yours truly as the keeper of the secrets, we have a Discord server where you can chat with our other members. You can set up private games and you can learn the finer arts of gameplay and game mastering. We provide audio-only versions of our shows free for you to download from Podbean or iTunes. If you'd like to help support our show, please visit our Patreon account. Just a dollar to a month helps us a lot. Like, share, and subscribe to our channel and punch the bell icon for updates on our latest shows. And leave us some comments. We enjoy reading them and answering any questions you might have. This is Tom Rayleigh, together with all the members of our gaming club, inviting you to journey with us once again into the darkness for another adventure into the universe of HP Lovecraft and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Until next time, good luck and good game.